it's not global warming, it's zombie infestation because that's fucking next bro Mm -hmm. why do you why do you think i practice cardio it is not (laughs) to be in shape it's to fucking run away from the zombies that are eventually going to eat me Isn't that rule number one in zombie land? Cardio? Like, like yeah, it's one of the top ones. <laughs> yeah. Like, nuh-uh. Nuh-uh. Those are like the most realistic dreams that I have and like are the most terrifying ones mm-hmm. that I have. Because it's just like, you know, the CDC has admitted and like it's such a it's such a thing. Like it's a government experiment that's gonna go wrong and then it's gonna go like, oh my god, I'm just I'm not I'm not Well, enough about zombies. Let's talk about murder, mystery, and mishaps. Yay. Uh, sorry, I'm sober, and this is kind of awkward. Uh, this is the Red <laughs> Rum and Red Wine podcast. My name is Kristen. My name is Sarah. Hey, guys. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm keeping it sober. I went out this weekend hung over I was, so not just need a break. Sometimes that's good. Yeah. It's needed. Hell yeah. Um, I am drinking wine, not mm. sober. And it's not Oak Leaf. It's oh. um hmm, Winemaker's Selection. Another kind of it's a five dollar bottle from Walmart. It sounds fancy. It's actually the brand of champagne that we get. They had a cab, so But the wine version. Nice. Yeah. Nice, nice. It's okay. It's pretty good. Well, my story's fucked up. Uh, yeah. It's not a murder per se. Sorry, I like haven't been doing true crime cases. I promise next story I'll make it true crime. But um, I have just been finding these cases that I really feel the need to talk about. So I want to thank Clara for suggesting this book to me. She is not someone who I would think would recommend this book because she's so happy. But um, she said that it was on the list of like top reads for the decade or something like that. Um, And when she had told me about this, I had never heard about it because she kind of is forgotten in history. So I went ahead and got it at my local library. It is the unfit or yeah, the unfit Harris. Harris. I'm a dumb bitch. Okay. So it is The Unfit Heiress by Audrey Claire Farley. And it talks about, sorry, the ring light's kind of like making a nice little glare, but it talks about the life of Ann Cooper Hewitt, who was sterilized without her consent. So let's get into it, shall we? (laughs) (laughs) It is, um gonna say like trigger warning if you're a woman it's triggering this is like I really 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 recommend to read this book there is a lot of stuff that I left out just for the sake of the length and it is just like she words it so much better than I will because she's smarter and like researched way better (laughs) but it is 
really well written. Um, she dramatizes it a little bit just to like make the words flow better and whatnot, but amazing, amazing read. But as a woman, fucking terrible fucking Hell yeah, because that like, shit still goes on today in certain countries. Even here. So <laughs> it's just like, it is really fucking upsetting as a woman to read. Um, so I'm, I'm sure it's going to be upsetting to hear you talk about, or to hear me talk about it. So just fair warning, if you don't want to hear about really sexist remarks uh, made about women in the early 1900s in America, uh, probably not the episode for you. Hmm. But I'm yeah. ready to learn. Anne Cooper Hewitt was born into a uh, super, super well-off family. Like, she hit the jackpot, seemingly, with her family. Her grandfather was famous engineer Peter Cooper, who was behind a slew of inventions that ranged from gelatin dessert to a steam locomotive. Hmm. And, you know, this would earn him a shit ton of money by the time he had passed away in 1883 his inventions along with investments that he had made in real estate and whatnot had made him one of the wealthiest men in new york and peter's son also peter cooper hewitt took his father's success and instead of just like taking the money and enjoying life he also had the I guess like business mind to make his own inventions and try his shot at inventing shit in 1901 he invents a mercury vapor lamp and when he does this this invention earns him one million dollars like in the book it's described that like a lot of um movie studio or like Hollywood studios use this for movie productions and it was used in like offices until like the 1910s when something else was invented for it but it was a pretty big invention that was used everywhere at the time because there was no fluorescent light I guess or like all of the lights that existed produced a lot of heat so there was no way for a big ass building or like a tall skyscraper to light the building inside because it would make the building too hot Mm -hmm. so when he invented this light buildings were finally able to like use a shit ton of lights along the building Mm. is how it was like kind of described in the book by the time peter ends up dying in 1921 Anne is just seven years old Peter Jr.'s estate was said to be at $4 million, a little over, which in today's money is, like, a little over $59 million. So, ah. uh-huh. pretty well, I mean, like, <laughs> I'd be happy with that. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, in his will, Peter stipulated that he wanted two-thirds of the estate to go to his daughter, Anne, while one-third wow. would go to Anne's wife. Or, sorry, <laughs> not Anne's wife, to <laughs> his wife, Anne's mother, um, I'm going to say her name wrong, so sorry. I probably should have looked it up because I'm going to say it a lot. But Marion Cooper Hewitt. So the thing in the will that I guess sparks this whole thing is that in Peter's will, if it states that if Anne were to die childless, then all of the shares that Anne has would go to Anne's mother, Marion. Okay. So, if you can see where this is leading. Mm. God damn it. We are now in the middle of a civil suit leading to a criminal suit between Anne and Marion. Because Anne Hewitt is currently suing her mother for half a million dollars under the complaint that Marion, Anne's own mother, paid two doctors to unsex her or sterilize her 
during a scheduled appendectomy in order to deprive Anne of her inheritance to her father's estate. Oh, my God. And this is also an episode about serious mommy issues, so. (laughs) (laughs) I cried. cried reading this book. So what Anne has to say about her life with her mother, along with, you know, Anne's mother's response to Anne clapping back at her with a lawsuit, unbeknownst to both of them, would begin a nationwide debate over women's sexuality in general, and as well as doctors' decisions to sterilize patients. Wow. But also, Anne would have to die before her mother. That's something that was brought up, and it's kind of... Like, the theory is like, oh, so did Marion intend to, you know, like, kill Anne after this? And it just more so seemed that, like, as we find out later on when I describe Marion, um, she's kind of a crazy bitch. (laughs) I'm not like, she's just, you know, a little delusional. So, I hate to say that, but she's just like, one of the things was that it was said, that she didn't really, like, grasp the thought that she may not outlive her daughter Anne. Like, in Marion's world, it's like she can't die. Almost. Right. It's like yeah. what it's kind of... I guess her ego didn't think that, like, Anne wouldn't die first. Yeah, it's like she didn't really think about the next yeah. steps. She was just like, oh, what if we make her not to have children? Or and... And as I, one of the things is, like, I think she thought that she may have had control over her daughter after that, Mm. even though she wasn't legally, like, her guardian anymore. She could still, like, bribe Anne out of the money in the estate or something like that. Right. It is talked about a little bit in the book. It's mentioned because it is weird, and it is something that I thought about, like, well, Anne would have to die first, but... It's just kind of like Marianne doesn't really think about that bit. She just like, <laughs> thinks about the sterilization bit. So, okay, girl. <laughs> so Anne was born in Paris on the day that World War One began in 1914. And her mother, Marianne, would tell her daughter often that she was born on an evil day. I was going to say, it kind of seems like an omen. (laughs) Yeah, and she would use that as an excuse all the time. Like, you're misbehaving, it's because you were born on an evil day. That's terrible. And, yeah, if you couldn't tell, uh, she wasn't the best. She didn't get, like, number one mom of the year. (laughs) Okay. So, Marianne would arrive in New York at the age of 19 in 1903 with the intention of marrying it big, pretty much. Um, You'll see that, like, One, she marries multiple men. And two, each time she marries, it's like she's trying to make her way up. Marry up and up and up. Whatever ladder that she thinks is she's going up. Uh, So she lied her way into the social light. She came from like a low class family. Um, I don't really know where she came from, but I know it wasn't a high, like it wasn't an aristocratic type of family. It was said that like when she wrote, she would use Z's instead of S's. So Hmm. her first husband's mother was able to like point out through Marianne's writing that like, oh, I don't think you're as educated as you say that you are. Right. So she meets that mother-in-law's 
son, physician and soon-to-be husband, P- Pidar Bourgeois. Oh. <laughs> I know. Sorry. I'm going to get a lot of these names wrong. <laughs> who she would ha- end up having one son with, and that is Pidar Jr., who Marion, like, does not take care of throughout her life. It is said that in the book that um, the mother-in-law takes care of Pidar. Hmm. So. After her divorce to Pidar, she would marry a guy named Stuart Deming, who was a wealthy Wall Street man, though they would annul it just three months later because something about her and Pidar's marriage, like, wasn't, or divorce wasn't official yet, but she she also realized that Stuart wasn't making enough money to, like, sustain her life. So she was just like, this is an easy way for me to get out of the marriage. Right. And so then she starts dating around, and that's when she happens upon Peter Cooper Hewitt, Anne's dad. But when Anne was born, she was born into quite a uh, scandalous situation. Hmm. Because Anne's father... Who was 60 during the time that Anne was born. I was wondering Marianne, how was like he died 30. when she was seven, you know. I figured something mm. tragic happened, but he was just old. Just, just old age, yeah, because he was 60. Marianne was like 30, so he was also married, so that was like, and not to Marianne, so also a problem in uh, the relationship, I would say. Right. Yeah, yeah it's a big, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. He was married to a woman named Lucy. Um, now, when Marion and Peter had met, Marion was actually seeing Reginald Vanderbilt of, you know, like, the Vanderbilt fucking family with all that Vanderbilt fucking... or Vanderbilt? Vanderbilt. 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 Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All that. Of the Vanderbilt. <laughs> of the best. Yep, 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 oh, yeah. yep. Um, when she, like, met Peter and then she was like, oh no peter because her his dad ends up like becoming a peter's dad was a mayor at some point and it was just like i don't know and just it, it's described that like they just genuinely fell in love like i think she genuinely got the lust for him for a little bit and they just like started a hot and heavy romance and then huh. she got pregnant and he had never had a child before with his first wife lucy so as soon as he like saw his daughter Anne, he was just like struck in love with her, Aww. and so he asked his first wife for a divorce and basically marries Marion. Um, but when Anne was born, Anne was born like extremely premature. Like she was only three and a half pounds when she was born, so yeah. like tiny, tiny little baby, and like almost died. I want to say in the book it said. And because of this, it contributed to her being sickly throughout her young adolescent life. And it didn't help that her mother was like, just oh, a fucking good mom. So Anne <laughs> would recall that. Motherly. Yeah. yeah. She just like had no motherly intuition. So as a baby, Anne would recall that she would be in a crib with really tall walls so that she couldn't crawl out. And that there would be an, a maid that a few times would go into her room to dress her and then you know she would be left alone for the day and oftentimes she would just fall asleep in the crib but there would be days where it would just be that maid coming in and she wouldn't see her mother for like days on end oh my god yeah so but like 
she said growing up that the only experience of love that Anne felt in her life was when her father came over because her father freaking adored Anne. Like, it was described that he just really cared about, like, this baby that he never thought that he would have because he was 60 when she was born. So he just thought, you know, that's a dream that's never going to happen. So yeah. he doted upon the little girl. It's <laughs> And it's also really fucking sad because, like, right before he dies, she they have this conversation and she's like, I want to marry a man just like you. And she's and he tells her, like, find someone who's going to love you for you and, like, find someone who will carry on my inventions for me. Like, find a smart thinking man who will love you. And uh, it's just and then she, like, takes her father's blueprints and hides them under her pillow and like we'll keep them until she gets older in life yeah it's fucking sad her mom on the other hand when she did decide to grace Anne with her presence would spend it for the most part though i'm like making her out seem really i mean she is pretty bad but she says that there were some positive moments in their in Anne's childhood of marion like raising her but for the most part it was spent being verbally or physically abused by her. She would isolate Anne and not allow her to have friends. And this is something that was carried out in her adult life. Like there is one part in the book right after Anne gets one of her divorces later on, she has to pay a girl $50 a week to hang out with her and like talk to her. And right after Anne gets one of her divorces, the friend's like, I can't handle talking to you anymore, even though you're paying me, like, so she dips out, too. What the fuck? Yeah. But it's a product of Anne not really knowing how to handle social situations. Like, she Anne didn't know was how never... to have friendships or even yeah. relationships because she was kept from that as a child. Mm-hmm. So and sad. You, you see it. You see how it affects her in her adult life because it affects her. Anne would carry cigarette burns on her arms into adulthood that would be from her mom literally, you know, putting cigarettes out on her arm. Mm. And she would uh, have many tales in the book of times that her mother would hit her for disobeying her. When Peter's health declined in 1920, Marion began to set her sights on a Ritz hotel manager who was 24-year-old Baron Robin D. Engler. Um... When Peter is, like, fucking dying in their apartment, like, you know, sick and dying, she brings, Marion brings Baron over with, like, a friend and starts partying loudly in the room next to Peter, where Peter can probably, like, obviously hear Marion partying with the man, knowing the intention. Like, there's a nurse... That was that Marion was paying to take care of Peter, and the nurse comes out and is like, "You guys need to leave. Like, what the fuck do you think you're doing? Your husband's in the next room. Like, he needs his rest." And she's like, "Get out of here!" Blah blah blah. Like with her and, f- flapper dress and her long yeah. cigarette feather <laughs> yes. headband. It's so funny because the articles will like describe her later on as a flapper girl, ah. <laughs> but. Um, but she ends up like firing the nurse but then has to like rehire her a couple of days later because there are no other nurses that speak english in the area so it's like damn but that's marion's attitude and so 
when her husband Peter dies on August 23rd of 1930, she goes off and she marries that dude, uh, Baron. And she grew old of him and didn't like that he didn't have any money because he, he's like a Ritz hotel manager. Duh. She, it's like a workman. Yeah. Just someone to have an affair with, not to full on fucking marry. Sorry to Ritz Hotel managers. <laughs> just for, like yeah, for her, for, not, for uh, her. Yeah, you guys she's, are she's doing a, great. <laughs> yeah, she's a gold digger. Okay, <laughs> but she would say that he cost her fifty thousand dollars a year, and after she divorced him after thirty nine months, she said that it cost her roughly twenty five or twelve thousand five hundred dollars a month or seventeen dollars an hour to be married to him. So because she's like, she spoiled him or I guess so. She just like let him have whatever fucking like she's bad with finances. Okay, so you said that she grew she grew old with him, but they were only married 36 months. 39 months. 30 she grew old of him. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> no, she did not grow old. That they like she made not, it. No, 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 no. She didn't grow old with him. She grew old of him and she was like, "Bye." <laughs> so I don't, I don't know why she put 39 months. Like, someone convert that for me. That's, like, a couple of years. She was, like, done. It's like saying your, your like, three-year-old baby is, like, 48 months. So, after broke Ritz Hotel manager, she goes for successful lawyer George W.C. McCarter and proceeds to get kicked out of every respectable club that he is a part of. Because she just, like, goes and causes a scene. Uh, me? Um, <laughs> yes, yes. Very much so. If we had uh, private club memberships, we would lose them within a month. Mm-hmm. So she ends up marrying him. And in the meantime, she is not really allowing and to have much education. Like, she'll go to school every now and again. But one of the excuses that will come up later on is that, Oh, Anne's a moron. Anne's not smart. And it's not that Anne isn't smart. It's Or, like, Anne gets expelled from school a lot. She does terrible in these situations. She doesn't want to learn. And it's not that. It's more so situations of, like, her mother pushing her to not want to go to school or to making it seem like, I don't know, her mom pushes her to do a lot of, like, things that you wouldn't think a parent would want for their child. But... She wants that type of control financially. Right. So. Yeah. Ugh. She would even, like, apologize to a lot of people in wherever they lived, and she would be like, oh, excuse my daughter. She's not right. She would say that, like, with Anne right there beside oh her. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, not even using her health as an excuse, like, straight up calling her, ugh. So fast forward to about 11 months before Anne's 21st birthday, and she is sitting at a beachside resort outside of San Diego with her mother. They are having lunch, and Anne is talking about how, you know, she is about to be an adult. She's about to gain access to her father's trust once she turns 21. She is ready to start her life, get a family, find a husband, and live. Like, be an individual (laughs) yeah (laughs) and it is while they're having this lunch that Anne starts to get these incredible stomach pains was that the shrimp yeah some bad seafood girl so 
Once she gets the stomach pain, she is rushed back to San Francisco to Dante Sanatorium on Broadway, where Anne's private physician, Dr. Tilton Tillman, is waiting. Dr. Tilton Tillman. That's a fucked up. Tilton Tillman. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I thought I, like, typed his name double, and I didn't. That's just... Yeah, I'm sorry. It was said that Tillman never examined her abdomen, but rather wheeled her into a room where an alienist, or, or this is a psychologist, what they called a psychologist back in the day, named Mary Scally was waiting for her. So Mary would ask questions such as, why did the pilgrims come to America? What's the longest river in the United States? Who's our current president? And like random ass questions like that. What year is it? <laughs> <laughs> and was like, okay, this is weird, but she didn't really like think much of it. And four days later, she would return to have her scheduled appendectomy with a doctor, Samuel Boyd. What Anne did not know was instead of an appendectomy, her mother, Marion, would use money from Anne's own trust fund to pay doctors $9,000 for a procedure that was only supposed to cost a few hundred. Ah, okay, and I'm sorry. Uh, an abdectectomy. Abdectomy. Abdectomy. Your appendix? Oh, okay. I'm assuming. I don't know. Something, obviously, with your abdominals, but... Um, I would assume appendix, because it kind of sounds like that, but... Right, okay. I just yeah. wasn't sure. Except it wasn't an app and whatever that they performed. It was fucking... Well, you know what? I didn't write it down, and it's slipping my mind. I don't know if they actually performed an appendectomy and then performed uh, the sterilization, but... I know that that's what at least they told her that she was getting wheeled in for. But, like, on the medical records, it stated that the reason she was in there was to get her tubes removed. There are also, just have to, like, throw it in here, some nice juicy little rumors that Dr. Tillman, who Marion would force Anne to call uh, Uncle Tilt, Uh. would be seen whispering into Marion's ear... While they drank champagne before this procedure happened. Uh, lovely. Yeah. Catch my drift on what lovely. was going on with mm-hmm. Uncle Tilt. And Marion would pick this time of 11 months before Marion's 20 or Anne's 21st birthday because, like Anne was saying in her lunch, as soon as she turns 21, she gains access to her father's trust, and she is no longer under the parental guidance of her mother, Marion. She's, mm. like, seen as an adult. Like, I guess the age for an adult back then was 21, so. Right. Or, like, her her mom doesn't at least control the trust anymore, so. Yeah. She wouldn't be able to have any say in her daughter's, like, medical care or anything that were to happen to her after the age of 21. That would be Anne's decision at the end of the day. Now, she Anne would stay in the hospital for several weeks after her surgery in order to recover. And it was during this time that she would start to hear things like staff members asking the nurse how the idiot patient was doing, as well as nurses reassuring the doctor that the patient did not suspect a thing. <gasps> it is when 
she starts to discover or she starts to think that like oh shit something is obviously going on like something bad has happened and at first she has no idea that it's her mother she thinks like it's the doctors it's the nurses like the doctor did this to me and my mother my poor mother has no idea that this happened to me like what are we going to do and then she overhears a nurse telling another nurse that like oh thank god you know her mother made the right choice and she's like what the fuck oh my god how like crazy would that make you feel like so gaslighted i like i don't even like i wouldn't know how to breathe for the next like five minutes i would have a full-blown panic attack, I, w- I, I would have a meltdown they would have for sure put me in the ward i would need some volume stat <laughs> In my veins, inject it. Excuse me, nurse. (laughs) This idiot has a pain level of 10. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This idiot needs all the drugs in your cabinet right now. Um, And so after she finds out this fucking shocking fact that her own mother has had her fucking sterilized, and it's like they haven't had her tubes tied. They removed, full-on removed her tubes. So, like no way of undoing that it's done and they do this as a way to like because the the id the idol the ideology back then was that sex was meant solely for the reason of reproduction uh sex isn't meant as you know a form of physical pleasure so in order to sterilize this woman properly you need to remove the whole physical organ so that way not only are you not allowing her to reproduce but she like loses the need to have sex Mm. or like i guess be this promiscuous woman that they claim that these women tend to be the book explains it much better i said but so now that she discovers that her mom is doing this she is discharged to go back and live with her mom oh, <laughs> and fuck. it her mother is said to have kept her a prisoner in her own room after this um this is like a little bit where she messes up and like a little bit where her privilege shows like not the woman was sterilized she's allowed to you know take this however way she wants but it just cracked me up a little bit her response because she would state in the civil suit that not one housekeeper was allowed to enter my room during my convalescence. I was forced to live with little more than the bare necessities or comforts of a poor house waif. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, you didn't have someone to bring you a water. Yeah. You had to pick up your own laundry and put it in your hamper. You had to make you, your, your hmm. own bed. Hmm. <laughs> You had you to had turn to... over your own bed. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Uh, like, okay, I know we're laughing and joking, <laughs> but there is a little privilege that shows through that. It's just like she's she's and a I get bit, it. She's yeah. recovering. <laughs> like, no one wants to do that shit when you're recovering and miserable of how you realize you're a fucking yeah. Tool, like you basically. are allowed to mourn a however pawn. you want. It just fucking cracks me up that um she's like i had to live like a poor house wait and i'm like wait 
<laughs> me. That's me you're talking about. Okay. Um, actually offended, but <laughs> she sits in her room and she is kind of shocked and wondering how something like this could have happened to her, how she could have lost something so big. Like, literally explain it literally a part of you without your even womanhood knowing. yeah like um, literal part of your body that and is yeah like you said back then a woman's purpose is to reproduce blah 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 like it's like she almost lost her purpose yeah you said she very, wanted a family like now it's she's been robbed completely yeah of any chance that she could have for a life as like a normal wife as she had such you right. wanted to I mean be. there's always adoption but yeah Still, and like having the choice is nice yeah and you see later on it's it's like very weird but I think it is her not being able to properly mourn and she has like obviously no access to therapy but you see later on like she doesn't want to adopt and I think a lot of that is like resentment to maybe not being able to have her own child yeah because then she'll she also like I did not write this down, but there was one part in the book with one of her husbands where she starts telling people like, oh, I can have a baby. Like one of the doctors said that it was like a medical mistake. And it's like, spoiler alert, she doesn't ever end up having kids. So she puts a lot of emphasis on and you see this later on and it really fucking sucks that she kind of falls into this is this thought that like if you are super religious, God will make you fertile. Mm. (laughs) I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh. But <laughs> no, it's, no, it's, it's quite uh, funny because it, it it's not true. Like prayer doesn't fucking make you pregnant. It it so it yeah yeah. Anywho, but unfortunately, this is a practice that has been fucking going on way before Anne, and unfortunately, continues after Anne. So in 1883, I guess is when we see the first term for it as we would say maybe, when an English intellectual, if that's really what you want to call him, named Francis Galton came up with the term eugenics, meaning well-born. So if you don't know about eugenics, it is basically to advocate the need for a selective breeding program amongst humans to like make a better population. Yeah, the term selective in any phrase is just gross. Gives gives off ick. Inspired by his cousin Charles Darwin's book on the origin of the species, he became invested on the influence of evolution amongst humans, because to him it was very simple. If well-born women have more children, all social evils go away. Just like that. Things like poverty, disabilities, promiscuity, criminalization, drug abuse, would disappear from society as long as two high-class individuals bred with one another. Galton would use the basis of religion to help, again, spread this idea that if you have faith in eugenics or if you have faith in God, it will make society better. Like, this is God's plan. (laughs) And he would even catch the eye of American biologist uh, Charles Davenport, who in 1910 founded the eugenics record office at Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory on Long Island. And 
This was made with the intention of eliminating all traits associated with negative eugenics, which are basically those unfit to be parents, a.k.a. any person of color, is essentially what they're saying. Any person of color. Right. No discrimination against that, as long as you're a person of color. (laughs) No discrimination against discrimination of people of color. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) exactly. So they received funding from big named industries such as Rockefellers, the Carnegie's, Kellogg's, cereal. That mm-hmm. one made me laugh. And the Harman's, Harman's. I think that <laughs> one was like railroads or something. And with all of the money that they made from these industries donating, you know, millions of dollars to them, they would use it to come up with the most unscientific conclusions that you have ever fucking heard of, Uh, mm -hmm. including, like, one example that the book had thrown was that they, loosely using the term discovered, they did not, they made up the discovery that epileptics are morally degenerate and are stuck in a primitive state of development that does not allow for the higher reasoning needed to live in the social norms of society okay yeah they would use these not even discoveries to help pass strict immigration restrictions as well as expand anti-miscegenation laws which prohibits marriage between races this and racism also... was born. <laughs> just kidding. It was. Uh, it already existed. Don't come for just, me. Just you know, alive and breeding. Just alive and not breeding. I guess I should say. <laughs> this also led to two motherfuckers named Paul uh, Popano and Ezra Goosney, who are two Californian men, who in 1913, you know, really came and stirred the pot. Popino had just graduated with a degree in hereditary from some fucking university, I think, in, like, I think he's from Kentucky. Maybe it's California. I don't fucking know. <laughs> it doesn't matter because, like, he, like, don't, uh, he doesn't matter. But he kind of does. I hate him. I hate Popino. He's, like, my least favorite character in this book. Okay. But he is allowed to edit the Journal of Heredity that um, one of his professors at his college made. And it is while editing this journal that he spits out articles stating that, you know, after looking into all of these hyperbreeders in the United States and all of the uh, sterilization that is happening already, he thinks that about 10 million Americans in their time, which is about one tenth of the population, should currently be sterilized. And you see in his articles that the hyperbreeders are Mexican families, African-American families, like, no white families. Indigenous families, though. Those, they'll count. Asian families. Indian families. Like, yeah. And it's so funny that, you know, they, they claim to have so much science and discoveries behind these factual findings when... They're making it up. There's no They're literally making evidence. it up. And if you look at some of the reasons why certain populations may have more children, it has nothing to do with 
any of that it's, crap. It's it's so funny because one of one of these women that they try to sterilize. So they I talk about it later. Uh, the test that they use, but there's a certain test that they do to level you like a moron, an idiot, or an imbecile, and. If you hit one of those categories, you're allowed to be legally sterilized, like, even if it's without your consent. Because, like, a doctor says, oh, you shouldn't be, like, breeding, having babies. And so there was this one Mexican woman who had, like, six kids at the time. And the government was trying to say, like, you are prohibited from having any more babies. And they tried to do that test with her to be like, oh, you're not going to be able to have babies because you're a freaking moron. And she passed the test with flying fucking colors. And, like, they weren't able to throw that objection on her, but they still found some, like, dumbass way to get around it. So it's just, like, you're, they, it's literally skin color is a fucking basic the closest thing we have to seeing physical evolution between humans. It's literally based on where you were born next to the equator way back in the fucking day. Like, it has nothing to do with education. It is just like, you can't be using this as an excuse. And let me just say, birth control definitely existed at this point. Forms of it, you know? They definitely talk about... um, The woman, oh God, I didn't write it down. They talk about the woman who invents birth control, basically, because the pill doesn't come around until the 1960s. Right. So you have things like the condom, but you don't have things like the IUD, the shot, or you do have the IUD, but the pills and whatnot, you don't get until the 1960s. So when she comes up, she actually talks to uh, Popano and Guzni and tries to say like, oh, birth control will be good because we can give it to the people of color and that way they won't be able to have kids and then just the white people will be able to have kids. But then it like backfired on them when like women of higher education and it just so happened that during that time it was typically white women who had access to the higher education were going and taking birth control and whatnot and they they happen to have more access to medical services or knowledge even of birth control yeah it's just like really one big mess and still no solution and it's like this this book there's no happy ending to this book but it's a it's a great book to read as a human being but it's also like just such a terrible read as a human being don't know how else to describe it It gets even worse when in 1928, Popano and Guzni decide to establish the Human Betterment Foundation in Pasadena. And with this, they later published the Sterilization of Human Betterment, a summary of results of 6,000 opera- op- operations in California, 1909 to 1929. And the thing with this is that it... Uh, quickly found its way into the hands of Nazi Germany or the Nazis in Germany. So thank you, Popano and Guzni, for, you know, aiding and betting and uh, fucking World War II genocide. That's great. 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 Great for us Americans. Doesn't help that uh, the Supreme Court is also on their fucking side and does not give a shit about um, reproductive rights when in 1924... There is a poor woman in Virginia named Carrie Buck who is raped by her foster parents' nephew, 
when they were out of town, and this results in her birthing a baby girl when she is just 16 years old. Now, maybe an attempt to save their nephew because, you know, men can't do wrong in this time. Her foster parents commit her to Lynchburg Colony, where authorities would then remove her fallopian tubes under the brand new sterilization law that was passed in 1909. This was said to be due to the fact that, though now 18, she had the mental state of a nine-year-old, hereditary deficiencies, and a low intelligence. This came from accounts that both her mother and her daughter were defective, as a nurse saw like a queer look in her baby's eyes after she had given birth to her. And, you know, it's without saying that no one mentioned that Carrie's foster parents pulled her out of school, didn't let her get an education so she could work on the foster parents' farm. And above all else, she was, like, fucking raped, and it wasn't her fucking fault. She, like, she didn't ask for it, so... I'm sorry. Um, Like, on... (laughs) Kind of off topic, but on topic, uh, you know, abortion has been and currently is a big issue and a huge topic of conversation and I saw this video the other day I forgot who was being interviewed it was like some conservative ass dude this woman was interviewing him about or talking to him about abortion and his thoughts obviously he was against it and so she was like so, you know, if a teenage girl gets raped, you don't believe that she should have the choice of an abortion? And he was like, no. And he was, and then, you know, she asked a couple of similar questions and he goes, no, I don't believe that anyone should get an abortion, blah, blah, blah. And then she goes, so if you get your mistress pregnant, what about then? And he gets quiet, <laughs> like super quiet, and he doesn't say no. And it's just hilarious because these people don't have any frame of thought around the concept of what what it means i i really one of the biggest things that i couldn't help but like shout when reading this book is like the whole time these fucking white dudes are sitting here and arguing about who should be sterilized who should not be sterilized and they are completely fine with doing this without the victim's knowledge of Mm -hmm. what is going on with them and to me if someone has the morality to do something like that you are the one that needs to be sterilized because i do not need that fucking immoral evil ass dna spreading around the world causing more cockroaches like you to go around fucking shit up for the world because like their ideology is fucking insane to read about and it was like honestly upsetting it like i had to put the book down multiple times like fucking it is a quick read but a fucking tough read like it's just a lot Mm. of stupid bullshit at one point they were saying like the reason that uh marion was abusing Anne was because women can't handle the cigarette smoke like a man can and it like affects her like morality and i'm just like i want to i want to be hysterical but the hysterical thing is that men fucking pay for porn. So I'm just like, I don't know what you want me to do about this situation. Make it make sense to me. Uh, yeah, because, uh, hello, men can be sterilized too. And men are sterilized. Like, there are cases within this where m- men are sterilized within the 
I guess, prisons. But for the most part, mainly women. Yeah. Big percentage women. Like, huge percentage. Well, because even nowadays, women. people are like... And back in the day, if you could not have a child, like, the blame was never placed on the man. It was never even thought that the man could have something wrong with him. It was automatically put to the woman, like, either she is uh, too, like, frustrated in her marriage or she's, like, upset at her husband and that's why she's not Mm -hmm. getting pregnant. Like, it's her fault. Her emotions are getting in the way. If she would just relax, if she would just, like, pray to God, if she would just do these things, be a good little Christian girl, she would get pregnant. And if you didn't, like, you're doing something wrong or you're, like, a fucking witch or... Mm -hmm. But yeah, even though all of these things that we are talking about are so fucking not correct and just, like, insane to hear, Carrie's lawyer fucking sucks. And unfortunately, the Supreme Court did not care about women's reproductive rights. So in 1927, from a vote of eight to one... The United States Supreme Court would uphold the state's rights to forcibly sterilize persons considered unfit. Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, which I'm like, I think Holmes High School is named after him, bro. Sorry, Texas. But he would write regarding Buck v. Bell. It is better for all of the world if instead of waiting to execute degenerate offspring for crime or let them starve their imbecility... Society can prevent those who are manifestly unfit from continuing their crime. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. Jesus. This would, of course, lead to tens of thousands of Americans being sterilized without their consent or without their knowledge in some cases. But... You know, World War II happens, and Hitler kind of fucks up the word eugenics for everyone in America, because it's, (laughs) like, when the genocide of the Jews started happening, Popino and Guzni were actually, like, kind of excited. They were like, oh my god, they're, like, taking our advice to heart, until they saw, like, America's reaction to it, and they were like, oh, why don't people like this? Like, why are they freaking out? Fuck, I guess we have to, like kind of reword how we say all these things because now they just see it in like a genocide way and that's not how we want it because you know eugenics isn't genocide it's just not Hmm. i know people who are listening uh of the audio of this episode and not watching the video um i would just like to clarify that i am and have been constantly rolling my eyes (laughs) like this whole time (laughs) So now that brings us back to our little debacle where we are deciding whether to criminally charge the four individuals involved in Ann Cooper Hewitt's operation, which was Ann's mom, Marilyn, the doctor who ordered the operation, Tillman, the doctor who performed it, Boyd, and the alienist or the psychiatrist, Mary Scally. Um, it was decided that they would charge them with a felony count of mayhem, proving, and basically the charge of mayhem, you have to prove that one's body was maimed, rendered useless, or substantially changed in character. Hmm. So that is what was decided to be charged on top of all of them. 
And um, there was a civil suit going on between Anne and Marion as well. So Judge Sullivan J. Larzis was the one who filed the criminal charges. And the case grew some major popularity around, among the U.S. because everyone was kind of like shocked by the details and a lot of the family life started to come out and people were kind of like shocked by the lives that these two people had or that this family had lived. So it became kind of like a, a very satisfying read for everyone. But when it came to Marion being brought in to face her charges, the readers would never get that satisfaction because Marion decided to board a train set for the East Coast and, you know, vanished off into the sunset before she could be brought in for any charges. Oh, my God. Wait, weren't they in New York? They travel a lot, a lot. Sorry. So, like, Anne was born in Paris. So, like, from New York, they go to Paris Marion wants to live in Paris for a while, and then they end up going to California. Yeah, because that's where she had the abdominal thing, San Francisco. Yeah, San Francisco. I was going to ask back then. Um, but, they move yeah. around a lot, and honestly, they move around way too much for me to keep track of in the story. Gotcha. <laughs> but right now, um, Anne is currently residing in San Francisco, and that's where the charges are being brought up. But she flees... Uh, later in to the East Coast to okay. basically like skip her bail and skip her warrant that's out for her arrest. <laughs> that is until February 21st of 1936 when a ambulance is called to the Hotel Plaza in Jersey City to help a woman named Jane Merritt, who plot twist is not Jane Merritt. <laughs> it is our girl, Marion. Huh. So she had taken an overdose of a sleeping potion in an attempt to commit suicide. Now she does end up surviving. But the thing and the fucked up thing about the 19, what is this, 30s? If you are caught trying to commit suicide, Crazy. you will go to jail. No, you'll go to jail. Uh. It's a criminal charge. I think she said felony. I, man, you United States really wants to keep this buried because when I tried to do a Google search on this as to like when we stopped arresting people for, you know, uh, trying to commit suicide, could not find any information other than a uh, New England, like England passed a suicide act in like 1960 something where they said that they would stop charging people with suicide. But other than that, like United States is so hush hush on it. Like it's you Not have surprised. to do. I would have to do more, like, specific digging than I did within a five-minute Google search. Yeah. So. so because she has this possible suicide attempt charge, New Jersey is debating whether they should keep her and charge her with this suicide attempt or if they should send her back to California so she could face her mayhem charges. And... Marion is just like maybe a really good actor or she's like really fucking good in bed because she convinces the doctor to continue to say like no she's really sick you know like she committed suicide because she was on the verge of a mental breakdown if we were to try and take her to California don't think she would make it so they basically say cool we'll keep her in New Jersey and in the meanwhile like you can't force her to go to California (laughs) basically she's just like fugitive on the run basically 
And while this is going on, there are affidavits that are like continuing to come out and reports that are being brought out in the newspapers of the like scandal behind this case and pretty much like Marion's response to why she got Anne sterilized. Marion would state in affidavits and to reporters, you know, how dare Anne come up with this irrational idea that I did her sterilization on purpose? I did this because I'm being a good mother. I mean, how could she doubt that I'm being a good mother when I spend over $35,000 a year to give her a new wardrobe? I have this nice apartment that her and I live in. When she got sick, when she was younger, all throughout her adolescence, I paid for all of the medical care. Like, I have spent so much money on Anne. Why would I do this if not to be a good mom? So I I did the bare minimum as a mom who has money. And if that wasn't enough to convince people, she would say that she had tried to get Anne help when... At the age of three, she allegedly caught Anne masturbating and would send her to doctors to try and get help only to have Anne describe to say that like these doctors would look at her in disgust as the mother would try and explain what's going on. And Anne's like confused as to what is happening. And at the age of eight, she ends up getting sent to I didn't write the name of the school. She ends up getting sent to some school where it's basically meant for special needs or I don't want to say special needs it's basically meant for like people who are labeled a moron or imbecile or whatever is according to this test and when she goes there she ends up meeting a boy and they kind of become friends and the boy essentially talks her into like sneaking over to his room so they can hang out and so she does it for one night hangs an hour leaves comes back the other night stays a little longer leaves and like this keeps on going until one night she just accidentally happens to fall asleep and when the nurse comes in the next morning she finds the two of them in bed and the nurse I guess the first thing that the nurse thinks is that oh y'all were sleeping together like how dare you do this you are so impure it's all Anne's fault because of course Anne is the one that snuck into the boy's room and so Ever since these incidents happen, Anne's mother would label her as this, like, huge sexual, like, woman. It would even, she would even go as far as to write. Anne would have a diary, and the few times that Marion would take Anne to these social events, you know, nothing would really happen. She would say she would see her mother and how she really acted at these events and how, you know, she got kicked out at all of her stepfather's <laughs> clubs and whatnot. <laughs> but when she comes home, Marion is like, oh, didn't you dance with that one boy? And Anne's like, what are you talking about? And she's like, yeah, you danced with that one guy. Like, how nice would that have been if you would have done that? Like, you can imagine it, right? You should, like, write about it and, like, imagine if you were to have danced with him. And basically gets Anne to try and write all of these, like, fake scenarios of things that have not happened but accuse Anne of, like, being this sexual woman and just this... Like a deviant nympho. Yeah. And if... Anne wrote anything about the abuse that Marion gave to her or like there was one time where 
she had wrote about a really horrible experience where her mom got fucking drunk and was like trying to dial a friend that Anne had made and finally like dialed the right number and like was yelling at the friend to basically never talk to Anne again and she wrote about it in her diary and the mom's like how fucking dare you and was like ripping out the pages so just trying to get rid of any evidence that would incriminate incriminate Marion of like being who she really was right it was it sounds was, like a little bit I, of a projection going on by marion it's the fucking weirdest weirdest thing i've ever seen i'm just like uh, i don't know but while she was at this school and would be subject to the it's called the stanford Bennett test some stanford psychologist lewis terman came up with it go stanford so <laughs> it basically says that if you are a high-grade moron, you have the mental age of 11, which is what Anne was classified as. If you are an imbecile, you're someone with the mental age of, like, 2 to 7. And if you're an idiot, you are someone that has the mental age of under 2. So, a, f- a fault in this, or, like, maybe we're all fucking idiots, is that when they put this test to the general population like they were kind of surprised at how many people would be classified as like a moron so Mm. they at one point I guess like make up for it they were like oh the moron is like the standard oh my god like they did it uh they tested some U.S. troops and it was 40 percent 47 percent of white males and 80 percent 87 percent of African Americans were considered to be morons in that course so pretty high number they need to look at the education system jeez because the whole you want to know what this test is it's fucking history questions so if you have no access to a history book how the fuck are you supposed to know that like it is not it's not a solid way of testing at all it's literally like if you happen to be good at history you are going to exceed in this test oh my god it's so fucking stupid i would be a fucking imbecile yeah no fucking scientific value behind it whatsoever um her mom would even tell the public about an affair that she had with a chauffeur which she really did end up having this affair with him she would say that when and was finally like allowed some freedom she didn't have any friends or anywhere to go so she would just drive around I believe they were living in New Jersey at the time and you know she started talking to the chauffeur and things started to get romantic and they started writing love letters to each other and the mom found the letters and that's when she like flipped out and started to spread the idea that Anne loved workmen or like men in uniform and that's something that again a lot of people thought that like Marion was projecting because Marion tended to like the workmen she just wanted the money like she was a gold digger so right Hmm. who doesn't love a man in uniform though like no matter what uniform (laughs) yeah spiffy but the rumors and like these ideas that were spewing out that Anne was quote-unquote a moron were more times than not proved false throughout the book. Um, You would even see like one of the doctors, Dr. Boyd, who I believe was the doctor that performed the actual surgery on her, after surgery and after talking to her was like, I don't think she's a moron at all. Like she can actually conversate with me and like, right, seemed odd. But he was like, you know, but Dr. Tillman said, so whatever. Mm. And 
like, not gonna lie, yeah, Anne was way fucking smarter than me. She was reading all of the classic literature during that time. She was super into art and, like, painting and whatnot, as well as writing fluently in French and speaking Italian, you know, as well as English, duh. But (laughs) she flexed so hard in one interview report, or in one interview, there was a reporter that, um was like asking her questions and she was kind of like thinking about it and she was like oh you have to give me a second I think in French I'm like okay settle settle flex yeah like, <laughs> like okay. what the fuck? wish I could do that thanks but when people would talk to her and even like when one judge talked to her I forget what term she used but she threw some big word out there and everyone was just when they got to know her was like there's no way that this girl is she's a normal girl and they were really you know starting to question whether this was a thing but while marion stayed in new jersey and was seemingly untouchable the trial for the two doctors boyd and tillman would begin so on friday august 14th of 1936 the trial for their charges of criminal mayhem would start they would end up having nine men and three childless, childless women for the jury. And the book has a really good depiction of, you know, how the trial went. They would basically go back and forth debating if Anne was this untruthful, over-sexualized, quote-unquote, moron, while Anne would pretty much just sit there and have to hear them talk so much shit about her. And it's it's... It was just so fucking sad. So the trial starts on a Friday. She has to go up and testify that Friday afternoon. And she is so fucking nervous that she throws like these huge coughing fits. And while she gets the first, it's first cough fit, like it's not that bad. The second, like people are starting to laugh at her. And by the third, the judge is just like, get some rest this weekend and like, try again but thankfully she it said in the book like she stood in front of the mirror all weekend and was like practicing her responses and come that Monday she did a lot better but it was really just this big debate of like is Anna Moron (laughs) and if she is like then that means that this was valid it's like an okay surgery so what like are we really fighting over here for is like really what became the big question and (laughs) it ends when the judge is like I there is this is no question I'm gonna go ahead and dismiss this case because I don't even know at this point what the jury is going to deliberate over uh it's a waste of public funds and the evidence is simply not meritorious enough to be given to a jury um he basically said sterilization is not a crime in in california due to that law that was passed in 1909 and therefore there's no mayhem to have been committed is basically what he said he wasn't even going to give the jury a chance to fight about it thank god They would try to appeal this a week later, though it would be denied, and later the California Supreme Court appeal would also be denied. So really the main struggle and why people had such a hard time of figuring out whether this was a real case or not 
is because of the thought of is sex meant for reproduction or is it meant for sexual pleasure? Because the mayhem case would not stick if it was found that sex is meant for sexual pleasure. If sex is meant for sexual pleasure, then you don't need your fallopian tubes in order to experience pleasure. Therefore, your body isn't rendered useless by having your fallopian tubes removed, aka no mayhem is committed. But if... But if they found that sex was meant for reproduction, then when Anne had her fallopian tubes removed, it rendered her body useless and therefore the mayhem charges could stick. So you can see why it was like such a kind of like double-edged sword because either option is fucking terrible and it doesn't fucking make sense. How about it's meant for both people? I'm just like, it's... (sighs) Either or. I'm just like... (laughs) That's like, sex is, it can be both. There are other mammals that have sex for pleasure. So what do you say for them? But essentially when Judge Tillman dismissed this case, it meant that doctors would only need to prove that a woman was like morally bankrupt or that a woman had a morally bankrupt mother and that she could become one herself. Because what it also turned into during the trial was an attack on Marion of like, well, how, look at the mom. She, Anne was basically born out of wedlock, like out of an affair, kind of like almost an illegitimate child. And so that was another reason why they saw her as quote unquote a moron. Mm. So a lot of like things came into play of like, well, her mother may have not been able to like be allowed to have kids and it's just like I don't know because it gets into this big thing of eugenics is trying not to be racist (laughs) so it's saying like I guess some white women would be okay to be sterilized as long as they're deemed as like these unfit mothers and they're not like the high class but you would have this argument of like Marion wasn't really seen as a high class woman at certain points but like if she could raise an imbecile daughter, then, like, it questions the high-class pedigree. You know what I mean? Right, right. But thankfully, this did not stop the criminal charges being brought up against Marion. Though, again, this book has no happy ending. There is a... I don't know if it's real or not. There's like a certain what's described as a decline in her health. A lot of people think it's fake. I kind of think so too. Um, But what Anne realizes is that her mom's suicide attempt was in fact real. Um, At first she did think it was fake. But then when she sees the toxicology report, she sees, well, that's hard. And then she starts to feel this guilt of if I bring my mom to California, she's going to have a nervous breakdown on the way and like maybe try to commit suicide again. And a lot of these reporters are also asking her, like, how would you feel if your mom died? Like, would you feel that guilt if her suicide attempt really like fell through? It would be your fault pretty much. And so she's hearing all of this shit and she just decides, you know, I can't do that to my mom. So she decides that Anne is not going to testify against her mother in the criminal suit against her. And by Anne pulling out, there's no key witness to this testimony. There's no case to really 
be had. Like, you need Anne to sit there and testify against her mother. But she now has this guilt and this feeling that she can't do it because it's just going to ruin her relationship with her mother, who is a fucking shitty mom. (sighs) But she, like, talks about how, you know, they had fun one time. Her mom didn't want to be dating a suitor, so um, she got Anne to go and, like, flirt with the suitor. And then Marion walked in and was like, how dare you flirt with my daughter? And, like, caused a huge scene. And then they, like, walked away laughing. And But, like, great times. They had mom. fun that one time. Cool. <laughs> she literally said, like, two instances of happy times and, like, fucking 50 of, ne- like, negative it's just like that it it i cry for anne especially at the end of the book it's just like she just wanted someone to love her and i get that i get that hashtag it's complicated hashtag it's complicated hashtag, hashtag love me yeah hashtag <laughs> do you have complicated relationships with your parents so do so do I. A judge would try and attempt to, like, give Anne some time to change her mind instead of completely dismissing the case and saying, you know, we have no star witness, throw it in the trash. He extends it until the summer of 1937, but Anne stays firm on her decision. And it prompts another judge to remove but not dismiss the case. But then this really conservative judge pops up and he's like, fuck it drop the case and uh like i i know it seems really easy to kind of like hate on Anne in the moment and be like how could you not testify like think of the women and think of how many lives you could change but we really have to sit in Anne's shoes and understand not only the shame that she probably felt from what happened to her but the shame that she's fucking getting from the public man because public is freaking ruthless there is victim a shaming and blaming like big hardcore. time there like i don't even there's a excerpt that's written about her in the new york daily mirror and it reads i'm only a sterilized heiress a butt for the laughter or rubes i'm comely and rich but a venomous bitch my hmm. mother ran off with my tubes Oh, fie on you, mother, you bastard. Come back with my feminine toys. Restore my abdomen and make me a woman. I want to go out with the boys. So that wasn't a quote from Anne. It was just someone describing like her It was just like a poem written about her that was put in the paper. And people would talk about like if one of them... Like, I don't know who was buying lingerie, but if one of them went to a lingerie store, like, it was written about. If one of them ha- was seen with a guy, it was written about. Like, any and everything about their life was blown up and not all of it true. It's just kind of like tabloids. It's just fucking crazy. It's. Oh, how yeah. the times have not changed. Exactly. But, of course, because of this, like, public shaming and wants to. St- now be out of the spotlight it's not something that she wants to deal with like i 
whenever this whole thing began and Anne kind of like moved away from her mom, like her mom always made Anne bleach her hair. And that was one thing that she like stopped doing. She just like got this dark brown hair after the trial and just got the idea of like, I want to live a calm, peaceful life, like away from everyone. And that because of that need and that want from Anne, the case would die along with Marion. Marion would end up dying of a stroke in April of 1939. And after the trial, because it, the trial, like they were extending the case until 1937. So like a few years had passed Anne and Marion had not spoken with each other. And it was said that, like, the Sunday before Marion had died, she had actually reached out to Anne. And Anne didn't answer the phone call. She said that she had, like, needed time to process before she had time to call her back. But before she had time to call her back, her mom passed away. And she said that, like, that was one of her fucking biggest regrets is not picking up the phone immediately to, like, talk to her mom. Yeah, oh, that really that's rough. fucked me. <laughs> I started yeah. bawling, bawling when mm. I read that. I was so sad. And then it even, like, actually, I didn't start bawling at that part. I started bawling at the next sentence because it was like, I was like, that's so fucking sweet. That's so fucking sentimental. That almost makes me want to call my dad, but I'm not going to. <laughs> and then I read the line below and it's like, in her will, she left all her money to her son. <laughs> I was like, what the f- the Next son Tuesday. she didn't take care of. The son all. she didn't take care of left all her money to him. In her defense, she like used the excuse that like Anne had all this money from the trust fund of her father that like she was going to be taken care of, and like who knows what her son like had from the other dad. I don't know, but she left no money to Anne. All she left was like her jewels and some dresses, which. Actually, by the time of her death, because Marion, she and like married a bunch of people, ended up dying single, and was in a shit ton of debt. So <laughs> by the time that everything was like done and settled, the son like barely got any money, and the trinkets that were left to Anne were valued more than the fucking money yeah. that the son got. So. Hmm but I still I read that and I was like and it was a 17 year old will I was like I'd be so pissed I like I read that and I just started crying I was like I can't believe can't believe I felt so much and then I read that and I was like fuck you mom fuck you all over again how would you like how would you leave oh that's just like such a slap in the face such a slap in the face my jaw was so much to the floor it made me yawn just now I was like just like Ooh, 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 come back alive so I can fucking kill you. What the fuck? So, 17 year old old. will. So, that's like she created that will basically when 17 years ago before she died. So, in 1920, yeah, because she died in 37. And that's, like, well before any of this took off in the legal world. Wills? No. Uh, the Anne situation. 
Oh, yeah. And that's like she, way before Anne even got Peter's, her surgery done, right? Peter hadn't even died yet. Yeah. Because uh, she, he died when Anne was seven, and Anne was just six, at, if that was like 17 years ago. Or may- maybe around seven. So it was like right around the time that Peter probably died that she wrote this will stating yeah. like all the money that I have, so take it to my son. And so that just goes to show how Marianne felt about Anne even and just when a- Anne was a little girl. Yeah. And that it's another thing that was said that like Marianne fucking planned this out for years because she made sure that Anne had no friends, no one to talk to about the abuse that was going on, no friends to tell her, like, hey, what your mom is doing is kind of fucked up. Like, it's complete abuser behavior. Like, she just wants Anne all to herself. And I really think that she thought maybe if Anne didn't have children, she would never get married. She would never have an excuse to, like, leave her mother and would therefore, like, take care of her for the rest of her life. Like, maybe Marion would, like, become her new baby. It's just, like, it's fucking weird. I don't know what her thought process was behind that, but it was fucked up and, it like, not deserving at all. It's just, like... Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy that not AF. even a, it's crazy that not even a rich white girl at this point can like make movement going because they couldn't even fucking get her case to go to a criminal court. Like Right. And even when it did with the doctors, they dismissed it. If a rich <sighs> white girl can't do it, then who the fuck do we think can do it? And would not you know, stay alone for the rest of her life, like I guess many people thought she would. She would actually get a shit ton of proposals throughout the mail. But, hmm. um... Throughout the of, mail as in snail mail or the mail yeah, species? Yeah, like people would send a shit ton of letters being like, oh. come live with me and my mom, and all we need <laughs> is $30,000, and I'm, oh. I'll love you and give you a home. But they just, oh like, really gosh. wanted her money. Yeah. It was just, like, a lot of, yeah... A lot of bullshit letters, but you start to see the emotional trauma that, uh, or you start to see the emotional damage kind of peek through because Anne very much follows in her mother's footsteps of getting married a shit ton of times. Mm. So uh, she gets married to one guy, Ronald Gay. He's a garage foreman. It lasts a few months and then they get divorced. Basically, like... Ronald would say that she cried a lot and just, like, was really fucking sad and had a lot of unprocessed emotions, probably. And, like, he wasn't going to be a husband and, like, take care of that because back in the day, like, what are women's emotions? We don't know how to handle that. Like, if you're not going to feed me and have sex with me, then I don't want anything to right. do with you. It's much. hysteria is what it yeah. is. Yeah. But, of course, like, the reports pretty much for every single divorce blame Anne. Uh, so once they get divorced, she marries a bar steward named Jean Bradstreet and divorces him three months later when her mother dies. After that, she marries a man named Jack Whitaker in 1941 before divorcing him and starting an affair with a radio host named Frank Nicholson, in which they get married the day after Frank Nicholson's wife commits suicide. Because they tell her about the affair. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know what you... Like, ooh, there's, like, one line that she says. <laughs> like, I wish I wrote it down. But she was, like, describing why she got married the day after um, her husband's ex-wife committed suicide. And she was just like, because, you know, she was out of the picture. 
Uh, I was just like, damn, ice cold, ice cold, and ice fucking cold. Did not care. Did not care. Uh, yeah, a little scared of you, girl. Um, she also gets a criminal charge from this marriage because they like fudged their blood tests because another thing with this eugenics whole thing that's going on is uh, they make you take a blood test before you get married to make sure you're not like marrying impure or something like that. That's fucking crazy. I was like so shocked when I read that bit. But yeah, like blood tests were a thing that you needed in order to get a marriage certificate. At least in California. Yeah. Okay. Um, she would have to pay like a $1,500 fine, but that was it. It wasn't like anything. I mean, $1,500 back then is kind of a lot, dude. I mean, it's a lot nowadays, $1,500 It was definitely a a lot back then. Just to get your blood drawn? No, that was her fine for lying about the blood test. Oh, okay, okay. It was like her criminal charge. But she would... I don't Honestly, I forget which husband she says it with. I think it's this one. At some point, she like... tells people complaining like oh my god I'm running out of money I have no money like oh it was Frank because Frank obviously he was a radio host when they (laughs) find out when they find out that they got married you know the wife the day after Frank's ex-wife committed suicide they were like that's kind of fucked up like we don't really want you working at a radio job anymore so they fired him and they were like and was like, how could you fire him? We needed that 60000 or $50,000 that he is making. Like, that's all we have. And it's like, no, Anne had like a million dollars in her bank account at that point. So, like, she's just fucking, she's traumatized. I get it. But at the same time, when you don't fix it, like, you're just being an asshole at this point. So, but I get it. She went through some terrible shit. I'm really not trying She's to talk a shit about Anne, of but her trauma. Yeah, she does some questionable things. It's just I don't know. It's the getting married after the day of the suicide for me. I'm the day like, after. They could not even Was it wait until even after a the suicide? funeral. They like people were like maybe because um the day that they found her body I forget who found her, but whoever found her when they went outside, the husband, Frank, and Marion were in a car right outside of the house. Just so happened to be there. So, like, it was a rumor that was being thrown around that, like, oh, my God, they, like, fucking put 50 pills of aspirin in her stomach because that's what she died from. But it, like, I don't, I don't think that that was it. I think the wife was probably really sad because I don't know if this is Frank trying to make an alibi, but he had told people that she was threatening suicide, but she had like threatened it a lot in the past. So he didn't really think that she would do it, but then she like did it. So that's fucked up. Yeah. And even tries to run for the U.S. Senate. <laughs> oh. Because she wants to do something to uphold the women and children. Um, But shortly after, she gets divorced from Frank. And then shortly after this, she drops out of the race. So she never becomes a U.S. Senate. But uh, she does say to vote for the Republican candidate because I think that's what she was running for. Well, I mean, I get it if she actually wants to create some change. You know, that'd be really cool. But... And the way that they were making it seem, I was like, damn, they're going to do it. Because, 
uh, her husband, Frank, right before they got divorced, was saying, like, oh, Anne has a million dollars, so there's no way that she could be bribed or take any kind of, like, be any kind of corrupt politician because she has her own money. She doesn't have to worry about that kind of thing. And, you know, she had something really fucking traumatic happen to her as a woman that there is no legislature protecting us. Like, if she could make that happen, that would be fucking great. Like, would mm-hmm. love that, honestly. Hell yeah. Go off. But, I, like, I just think too emotionally damaged. I, I yeah, really don't she, know. She yeah. just, like, yeah, was going down a spiral just trying to find love. And she, when she really just, like, needed to love herself. Mm. Always got to love you first, guys. Mm-hmm. But either way, she finds husband number five, cowboy Charles Walter, before she divorces him less than a year later and goes back to Frank. Um, she would die of cancer in February of 1956 in her sleep and would be buried about 2,000 miles away from her parents. Though I fucking started crying again she would be abandoned one last time when her husband frank did not keep his promise that he would be buried next to her and instead moved to texas where he reconnected where with his first wife so his second wife was the one that committed suicide and Mm -hmm. then he married marion so his third so he reconnects with his first wife who has his daughter and they have grandchildren at this point before he shortly dies of cancer the following year and gets buried in Texas, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> Not Shit. by Anne. And Anne's trial and court is pretty much like fucking vanished from history. And meanwhile, Popeno like continues to go off in the eugenics world. Though he's trying to make it more of as like a positive eugenics, not so much like a genocide thing. So we now have the era where men are needing certain rights you know, sex, emotional and financial security, companionship, children. And if a man cheats, it is because his wife is not fulfilling any of these needs. And if the wife decides to cheat on the man, then it is because she is simply resenting the, I guess, dreams and passions that she had before she had fucking children. And she just needs to accept her fate and find a new love for dishes and diapers Ugh. Mm-hmm. and just like japan when we see them beaking their babies too much when we see higher class people not having as much kids we as americans start to say it is your patriotic duty you need to have kids because the birth rates are essential to liberal democracy and world peace Ugh. Amen. Amen. Jesus bless. (laughs) Bless he. In 1953, Popeno writes another fabulous article titled, Can This Marriage Be Saved? Oh, God. (laughs) I fucking died. I want to know what his marriage is like, first of all. Oh, actually, fucking fucking terrible. It's fucking terrible, and it's one of the things that, like, they kind of like or uh kind of make fun of him about is like he saved so many marriages but his own marriage sucks because his wife i guess used to be a ballerina before uh she started having kids and like started to fucking resent him because she couldn't have any of her passions or hobbies and like he was a fucking terrible ass husband poor woman yeah poor miss popano 
Yeah. A lot of women committing suicide, like their one suitor that Marion had was like married at the time and he was going to divorce his wife until an article came out saying that like Marion was sending herself flowers like making it seem like it was from multiple men to make it seem like she had multiple suitors and she was just like playing this guy big time so when he read the article he was like how dare you play me I'm going back to my wife and then the wife ends up committing suicide like a couple of years later oh my god yeah like, a lot of women committing suicide during this time because their husbands aren't fulfilling them emotionally or physically or any type of fucking way. Like, hello, it's a fucking problem. What the fuck? It's not... Marriage is not one-sided. I'm sorry. No, it takes two to tango, baby. Yeah. But this funny little article called Can This Marriage Be Saved basically states that white motherhood is what will save civilization. Ah. And the fucked up part, the not so fun fact about this is that this article was in rotation, in production, under the name of multiple different authors until the year 2014. I'm twitching. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's not that far. <laughs> this is just a couple of, Literally like... <laughs> just a couple of years ago. Like yesterday. Thankfully, this, you know, asshole dies in 1979 but you do see his predecessors start the homosexual revolution that begins in the 1960s and 70s of course you also see when black women obtain access to federal grants in 1964 through the civil rights act that involuntary sterilization became so prevalent amongst them that they coined the term mississippi appendectomy And many of these women of color, when they started to have stomach pains, had to either decide between toughing it out and trying a home remedy and not dying or going to the hospital and knowing that you're probably going to be sterilized. That was your two options. Oh, shivers down my spine. If you were a woman of color. Yeah. Fucking unacceptable. Over and over, Goosey. For fucking what? For why? fucking why? Why? For fucking... Hmm. The Office of Economic Opportunity under President Lyndon B. Johnson, during his war on poverty, authorized funds that were used to sterilize between 100,000 to 150,000 low-income women. Make it make sense. Make it make sense. We also start to have social experiments that are going around stating that poor people were not only responsible for the depletion of our resources, but our dying environment. Insert article where it literally states that like richer people have a way bigger carbon footprint than us poor folks. So we don't have access to fucking private jets or like <laughs> fucking, or fucking yachts. Diesel, yeah, or fucking like <laughs> mansion that wastes thousands of gallons of water i'm assuming energy like, yeah. yeah fucking but poor people are wasting our resources by dumpster diving <laughs> and feeding off scraps and having no running water and electricity and literally vehicles. having to melt snow while you go on a plane in puerto rico i'm talking about you fucking ted cruz like okay (laughs) i'm trying to connect the dots yeah there are no dots to be made here it's uh just fucking scribble scrabble 
I can give you a long list of further lawsuits that are talked about in the book that attempt to try and fix this, but it would just like make us more sad. And I'm probably like running a little long on time. So, and I like, I'm just, I'm fucking, doesn't even fucking matter because to this day it's, it's happening. It's happening all around the world. And it's happening still here in the United States. So, hmm. according to a state auditor's report in 2014, it found that 144 women in the prison system of California were sterilized between 2006 and 2010, with, according to them, 39 being operated on without their knowledge. In 2009, UC a West Virginia judge require a 21-year-old mother to undergo tubal litigation as part of her probation for a marijuana possession. What the actual fuck? You also start to see in 2015, National Tennessee start stipulating birth control with lesser plea deals. With one judge offering a 30-day reduction reduction to an inmate if she got a birth control implant. I mean, I'd take it, but yeah. As, if it's, it's free, I'll take up. it, but still. Yeah, it's free. <laughs> Fuck yeah. I mean, why does it matter? Why, why does that? Why, why is it a why, thing? Why is that a thing? Why, like, that has nothing like, to do. <laughs> it's like. A woman's reproductive rights has nothing to do with her criminal charge because even if a criminal like a woman can't be charged with anything criminally that has to do with her own reproductive rights because I mean yeah a a woman can rape a man or you know there can be forceful sexual acts Mm -hmm. but unless that happens like how can that even make sense and even if that happens it's not like ethical at all yeah (laughs) and it even goes into say so we have a lot of problems with illegal sterilization this isn't even going into if you are a woman that wants to have your tubes tied at like the age of 20 because you decide that you don't want to have kids the fucking hospitals won't let you because they're like oh what if your husband says later on It's not my husband's choice. It's my body. It's reversible. Yeah. Well, depending on which one you get, but. Right. But but there are, like, there's one lawsuit that's talked about in the book, and there are a lot of women that I see on TikTok that are talking about their experience of, you know, they have three kids, or they decide that they don't want to have kids, and they don't want to take birth control, and they have PCOS, and there are all of these terrible things that are associated with fucking having a period. You feel like shit for three weeks, and so you want to get your tubes tied, and they won't let you because there is a fear that, oh, well, what if one day you want kids, or what if one day your husband decides that he wants to start a family? And it's like, bitch, it's my fucking body. Like, if I want to get my tubes tied, I can get my fucking tubes tied. It's Right, but if a man wants his fucking... Five minutes, and he's done. Yeah. It's it, like, and there's no questions about no it. No question about it. That they're not like, is your wife okay with this? Yeah. It's it's they can just literally... like the audacity that people have to think that because I'm a woman, I automatically like I don't I don't know where it happened in the time span of humanity that like women became like started to be seen as this lesser 
human. Well, I know the fucking Bible, well, like, but yeah, <laughs> BC even. Uh, we just don't know how to make decisions. Apparently, I'm just like, what the? F-? I'm like, I- but prison inmates, of course, are not the only one at risk. We see ICE sterilizing Mexicans at the border. We see disabled, transgender, intersex, substance-dependent individuals be put at risk to face the same fate that a lot of others are facing under this fucking current U.S. state law that you can be sterilized. It's just like, I was waiting for a happy ending in this book. There is none because it's still happening to this day. And I don't know how to make it stop because I'm, hello, don't even know how to make a proper podcast episode, but... It's just like, God, I like was thinking that there would be a nice note to end on, but there isn't. And to say of Anne, like, regardless of the life that Anne lived after her sterilization should have never fucking happened to her. And it shouldn't happen to the thousands upon thousands of women that it's happening to as we speak. And that's not even just in the United States. It's like a fucking across the world. And for what? To, because you don't want this woman having a child when you can't even... Uh, I just, I'm at the point where I just... I don't have words. It's it's just upsetting and it shouldn't be happening. I, yeah, I'm blown away um, just because I had never heard of Anne's story. So thank you. And also, like, I knew, I know that sterilization happens and, I mean, I, I basically I wasn't aware that it still happens in the U.S., like, unconsented sterilizations. I know it happens in other countries where um, it may or may not be a part of their culture, but it happens because of whatever and and really really inhumane ways and um so this was very eye-opening to me and it really just I think it's kind of just going into the topic of women's rights reproductive rights um I'm sorry but if you are anti-abortion then fuck you don't listen to our (laughs) podcast because if if you are put in any situation and you and you don't have a choice as to what happens to you then how the fuck are you okay with that it's even funny when um like there was an article that i was reading about people who worked at abortion clinics who would give abortions to like these evangelical people who would come in and think that they are the exception they would literally like one woman would be holding this woman's hand and she'd be saying oh by the way you're going to hell for what you're doing and it's like bitch you're the one having the fucking abortion like how can you be saying that to someone who is literally sitting next to you supporting you through this decision that you made like, you, too, are a part of it. Like, how can you say, oh, because I'm a Christian, I, I'm, i like, veil. No. It's, it's like the, those glasses that you put on. It Unless you're put in that situation, you are never going to know how you are going to react. So how dare you say that or judge this person for doing something that has nothing to do with your body. Right. And 
just sterilization, not having a choice, having it happen to you without your consent, being robbed of even the choice of wanting to have a child yeah. you would- is completely unethical. It's insane to me. Um, I just I don't wish that upon anybody. No, the amount and yet here we are. Yeah, the amount of indigenous people, of Mexican American people, of African American people, of anyone who is above a shade of Casper is fucking. And even some people, white people, because I'm not even like I'm not trying to discriminate. It's fucking everyone at this point. If you are seen as like this mentally unfit person because Anne was a white woman, you have the opportunity to be sterilized without your consent. Like you have no say in it. There thankfully like was some legislation passed in one of the lawsuits where you had to have like a 72 hour wait between you signing the papers between when you can get sterilized because a lot of these women it was like a lot of Mexican women that were getting sterilized. They would be asked like in the middle of labor and some of them didn't speak English. So they would be like, do you want the pain to stop? Or like they would ask no mas babies and then they would get them to sign while they're like fucking drugged out. Or they wouldn't even ask them like there were women who didn't even have signatures on a paper saying like, oh, this is OK. Like you can do this to me. It's just like it. If you are doing that to someone, then, like, you should literally be sterilized. It makes no sense to me that we are allowing that thought process to be okay, but we're allowing totally normal people who are probably raising their kids not the fucking way that high society tends to raise, which is fucking ignoring them. And it's just... Make it make sense. It was a tough read. I I definitely, definitely recommend the book. The book gives amazing facts for you to talk about and debate with over people. Again, it is The Unfit Heiress by Audrey Claire Farley. And thank you, Audrey, for the book. It was a fucking amazing read and fucking tragic at the same time. Like, it... America was never fucking great <laughs> after reading this yeah. book. I really, uh, I really don't know what time frame we were talking about with that, but it, I, we need to make it better. We need to be better because this is just like in fucking sane to think that as a society we thought that this was okay and we allowed it to happen for so long and we're still kind of allowing it to happen. I couldn't find any recent cases, but. With how the public has acted with the cases that have happened, you know, with the rumors going around when ICE was sterilizing people down at the border, it's, like, very easy to say that it's not going to be talked about or it's going to be mm-hmm. a whistleblower that comes out with the next story for us. Right, so, right. It's just really fucking... Oh, my God. Not a fun case to read about as a woman, hopefully as a man, too. I know there's some of y'all out there listening. Power Hell to yeah. you. Dude, yeah, cheers to women's rights, um, reproductive rights, specifically in this case. Cheers to loving yourself. And cheers to Martin Luther King because it's MLK Day, baby. Yep. Uh, And I I thought of him a lot throughout your story just because of how hard he fought for the rights of people of color and um, for the CIA to fucking kill him. 
yeah thought about doing that today but i already got the book from the library oh i also got the book from the public library if no one wants to borrow it check out your local library they did have it at mine but because uh libraries where you can go rent or you know uh, check out book like physical books they still exist yeah and they also have ebook options for the library as well which i was like super psyched to check out but something about a hardcover you know yeah oh yeah yeah but yeah i tried to go to my school's library today but of course they were closed because of (laughs) martin luther king day and so i was like god damn it the one day i go yeah but it's it's just fucking insane man you just treat everyone the fucking same treat people how you want to be treated and don't judge people like based off of their fucking appearance bro that's the fucking dumbest thing look at their actions not their appearance that will say words more words more i can assure you yes Uh, but yeah guys until next time happy mlk day hope you enjoyed learned something perhaps i did yeah here's your little kiss on the forehead good night uh be sure to follow us on all the socials for the latest and greatest heck yeah at r-a-r-w podcast and eventually we'll get an email i'm sure one day sometime soon hopefully red rum and red wine podcast at gmail.com and until next time guys stay safe drink your water (laughs) (laughs) i'll try (laughs) bye bye